today's podcast, we're going to talk with Pastor Mike Stanzik about an article written in the First Things magazine called The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism by Aaron Wren. This is a very important article, and Mike helps us to unpack it and imply and apply it to our lives. And then in the second half of the show today, we go straight to the book of Acts, and we learn from the early Christians and how they navigated their world, and we learn from that. I hope you're uh, encouraged by this episode. I hope it strengthens your faith and uh, gives you ideas of how to uh, interact and uh, navigate with the culture that we're in today. Um, if you want to become a BS Crew member and help support us support us so we can keep doing this, go to our website and click on the menu tab that says BS Crew, and you can find out the different levels of support there. Or you can scroll to the very bottom of the screen and click the donate button for just for a one-time gift, and that'll help us with some upcoming fees that we have to uh, stay on the air, so to speak. So hope you enjoy this episode and I uh, hope it encourages you. All right, peace. What's up, what's up? How y'all doing today? This is Lewis Dooley with my brother Sam Key. Welcome to Bumper Sticker Faith this morning on this Wednesday, this frigid morning on February 1st. What's up, yeah. Sam? How you doing, brother? You know, I could be doing better. I, I have these uh, this blood test I have to take in just a little bit, and so I can't have any coffee, any pastries. Here we have these amazing pastries from Peterson's. Wow. Peter, did you say Peterson's? Yeah, I think it's like what, the Peterson's. The Peterson's. Wow. In I think it's in Hoffman Estates or Man, that cherry Barrington. Danish was fire. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you said you get a blood test. Yeah. It's not got, a they got a test to see if I have I, any any blood. I I'm guess. not gonna even say what I was gonna say. No, no, it's not a pregnancy test. I was gonna say like a paternity <laughs> test. Like Maury, you're gonna be a Maury Povich, or you are not <laughs> the father. So I've had no caffeine, no sugar, and our Topic today is about a negative world, and I'm. I feel, I feel there. You feel negative. Yeah, I feel pretty negative. Wow. So that's like the black post on the battery. <laughs> hey, I don't know why that popped in my head. But we got another guest today, right? We do. Who is this mysterious guest? This guy is the one and only Mike Stanzik. Did I say? I've never you, said you your said last right. name I am to a your junior, face. so technically there's another. <laughs> okay, okay, I take that back. Nice. We should yeah. re-record this. That's right. Start I'm a over. junior too, so. Mike Stanzik Jr. Wait, did I hit record? Yeah, I hit On your record. phone you hit record. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh -oh. Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. So Mike is a guy that, um, that I met in a coffee shop. Wow. Yeah. Were you like proselytizing? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, actually, actually, we both went to the same coffee shop or do for for a while. Mm -hmm. And like I'd always walk, not always, but when I'd walk by your wherever you were sitting, I'd see these like strange books that you were reading. And sometimes I thought, oh, this guy's a Christian. I know. And then other times I think this guy's definitely not a Christian. <laughs> wow. This stuff, this stuff he's reading. Do you remember what book made you think? I don't know. There was there's. Some like Russian books, there's like all kinds of philosophy books, uh -huh. other religions, oh, sure. like stuff that really, like 
I geek out on. Like I look at that and I'm mm. like, oh, I'd love to read that book. Like the Lion, a Witch, and a Wardrobe. Exactly. <laughs> but he does you know, love C.S. Lewis. I do, and I love the Narnia books. I used to read it annually every winter. Wow. For like eleven straight years, I think. Wow. I've, I've read never it. read it. So, and then oh, one day, I watched um, it as the as the fate as the sovereignty of God would have it. Uh, we sat like right next to each other because the coffee shop was completely full. Mm-hmm. And and Mike said to me first, oh, what are you reading? He noticed one of my books that I was reading by Carl Jung. <laughs> and so that started up a conversation that we had. And it wasn't long as, until I was confessing all my sins to him. Dang. It was fantastic. <laughs> that explains the collar he's got on. Yeah. <laughs> and then he didn't come to the coffee shop for about two years. <laughs> for real? No, that's oh, I was going to say, dang. <laughs> Straight dissed you. Scared him off. But That's Mike right. is a pastor in um, Libertyville, Illinois, mm. Trinity Community Church. Okay. And he's been there for uh, for a little while. And he's mm-hmm. been he's been a, in a band before. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I wanted to get your music to play on our no, musical break, but I couldn't find like it. Like Metallica, ACDC. Yeah, we were a Metallica cover band. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> or maybe the Beatles or something. I don't know. <laughs> No, we were like an indie band. We we did a, a couple tours. I'm glad you didn't find any of it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Wow. I would say the name, but it looks like you don't want me to say the name <laughs> of the band. I don't even know what indie means. I'm like India, Indian. Indiana Jones. It's oh, Indiana okay. Yeah. Jones. They oh, did all so the they had like music. whips and like those yeah. big hats and stuff. Each album maps on to each of the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> That's great, the man. The Dark Crystal one. Yeah. Um, excuse me, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, <laughs> Get it right, brother. Man. <laughs> There's some people listening right now. I was like, I wish they would just stop this crap. Like, why do they do this? Get to the stuff. Right, we have a, so, an hour to get so through So today, though, um, I brought Mike in because he's, he's very knowledgeable about cultural issues and things that are happening in the academy and culture, both of those. He's a guy that I've noticed as opposed to, maybe not as opposed, but in other church pastors and leaders, I, I just don't see them having a uh, a good grasp on issues of today. But mm. Mike is very fluent in these. I feel like he has his left hand on the pulse of the culture, but he has his right hand on the pulse of God. Yeah. And he's really able to navigate both of those. And there was this article that was written by a guy named Aaron Wren, uh, R-E-N-N in uh, magazine called First Things, mm-hmm. and it was called The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism. And it was kind of like a, a bomb that was dropped in some circles anyways. But then again, I feel like a lot of evangelical Christians have never heard of this article. Mm-hmm. And it's a major article. It's a, it's a major observation, I guess, that Aaron Wren has made. And it could be confusing for people, and I w- wanted to bring someone in who knew about these cultural issues uh, to talk about it. Uh, but the article leaves us in a place where Aaron Wren kind of says, th- these are all the problems today with the church and with evangelicalism, but we don't really know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. We don't, uh, we haven't found a way forward, but what we want to attempt to do in this podcast, maybe another one too, is to find a way forward. But who is Aaron Wren? Like, our way tell our listeners who that is and, yeah. and tell me. So, um, Aaron Wren is well known in like uh, reformed evangelical or Presbyterian okay. circles, like PCA USA or okay. uh, PCA, not PCA, yep. but, yeah. uh, PCA. Um, 
so uh, that's his tradition, and a lot of folks know him from there. But his background is, uh, you know, in like urban planning. He was a management mm-hmm. consultant. So, um, and, and then he well, he's kind of like this management consultant gone public intellectual. And he started with a newsletter uh, where he was uh, originally just passionate about um, sort of men's issues. So he wanted to um, apply uh, some of the insights that were coming out of what's called like the manosphere, mm-hmm. um, into, into American Christianity. And, uh, and so he started a newsletter that was called the masculinist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and actually it was really insightful. So, uh, I think a lot of those newsletters are probably still out there and available maybe through his Substack. So mm-hmm. the newsletter eventually transitioned into Substack once that platform was gaining some traction. Um, but he, he was really good. Uh, you know, those, um, you know, from the very beginning, just real, real insightful, sometimes very simple. And then other times he, he would mount really, really, uh, prescient, um, incisive critiques of culture, or just trying to add some vocabulary to help, help people navigate our moment. Um, so that's kind of where he, where he got started. And then, so the whole, uh, the whole three worlds, Mm. uh, framework, that originally showed up on an early masculinist newsletter. That was kind mm-hmm. of the first iteration of it. Um, and at that point, you know, he, he certainly had an okay readership, but it wasn't, it wasn't what it is mm-hmm. now. Uh, or, you know, now he hasn't, he just, uh, last year, last fall, he did an entire conference about, you know, on this whole wow. framework. So, okay. uh, so now he's really gained a lot of traction. People are listening to him, but that's kind of, mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of his background. We might need to get him on the show. Sam. <clears throat> Dude, he's so good. Yeah. You got to get on top of that when you get back It from sounds doctors. like he's from Wisconsin. Is he from Wisconsin? <clears throat> he's from Indiana. Indiana. Oh, he, just, he lives, oh I, he I know lives he lives in Indiana. in Indiana now, yeah. Yeah. But he like flattens all his vowels, so that's a telltale sign. <clears throat> mm, he's a Midwesterner. Okay. Midwesterner, yeah. Oh, okay. But part of his framework is the negative world, what he calls the negative world, and that's why today's episode is called Navigating the Negative World. So in his article, he... Uh, paints this picture of three different worlds, the positive world, the neutral world, and the negative world. And I'm going to have Mike kind of lead us through that. But uh, And these are all, like the positive world. These are all like stances toward uh, Christianity. Okay. Like how, how does culture, how does the world stand? What's its stance towards Christianity? One time it was positive, then it was neutral, but now it's very different. It's negative. Okay. And then how has the church responded within each of those um, those epochs, those, those time periods, mm-hmm. and how, therefore, should we respond as a church in this negative world that we find ourselves in? Okay. So I don't, you want to kind of take us yeah. through uh, the three different worlds? Sure. Um, yeah, So the so again, these are... Uh, cultural postures toward Christianity. Um, so there, there's uh, in the past been lots of discussion about how Christians ought to regard culture. This is how culture regards us. Um, so he, he breaks it up into positive, neutral, negative, and each of those worlds maps onto a certain time frame in American mm-hmm. history. And he, uh, the word he uses in the article is that these time frames are kind of impressionistic. You know, they're, uh, you you could you could viably choose other dates to uh, you know to say hey this is where positive world started and ended and so on but um, so he wants to, to say that positive world kind of lasted from like 1964 to 1994 mm-hmm. um, and 
and it it describes a, a period of time where where being a Christian afforded you a net gain in culture. So uh, so if I had to summarize kind of how, how this all works, um, maybe this would be a good summary. But imagine like trying to find a job uh, in each of these time frames. So the positive world would be 1964 and 94 neutral <clears throat> from 94 to he says 2014. And then negative world would be 2014 to the present. So uh, in, in each of those cases, so like if I was looking for a job, let's say, when did IBM start? I should have worked on this analogy before coming here. Know. That's a good question. I don't know. Let's imagine that IBM started in 1964. <laughs> uh, so imagine, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're wanting to, to get, you know, kind of a, um, a, a job at this, uh, you know, in, in, in kind of a burgeoning tech field or whatever, being a guy who goes to church, a church going man kind of gained you something. So if religion were to come up in a job interview, mentioning that you're a church going man would, would sort of, someone would have a higher estimation of you, you know, it, uh, if you, if, if they found that, that out, Oh, this person's stable. Maybe, and maybe they're not even a Christian, but there's just kind of this sense mm-hmm. of like, Oh, this person, is consistent they're uh you know they're conscientious they they have a moral center they you know whatever it is good values right yeah so it's a it's a net gain to to be a christian under that that cultural atmosphere um now during all of of positive world uh ren wants to say that there that with the sexual revolution on the rise and then um different scandals and and kind of evangelical embarrassments and and just the the rise of secularization um slowly christianity is fading from uh from prominence in culture mm-hmm. and so we eventually transition into the the neutral world where again you go to a job interview um you know uh when i was interviewing for jobs at like coffee shops or whatever during college i mean i, I don't think that anybody would have cared all that much if I was a Christian or not. Like if, if that somehow had come up I'm like, yeah, I mean, I go to church. Okay, cool. You know, like, uh, so mm-hmm. Ren jokes like, Oh, you're a Christian. I'm a vegan. You know, <laughs> like it, it, it's all, it's, it's a, uh, it's just one of many potential lifestyles that you could take up. Mm-hmm. Um, then you transition to the, the negative world, uh, uh, which is where he wants to say we are now. Um, and again, he kind of chooses this arbitrary date of, of 2014. You could choose a different one. But now, uh, if I'm in a job interview, let's say I'm I'm interviewing for AbbVie or whatever. Um, that would have been a better company to choose. So I'm interviewing for for Abbott or AbbVie, and uh, and it comes up that I'm a Christian and uh, and, and particularly a Christian of a certain kind. You know, uh, there's going to be some hesitation. You know, the, the, you you can anticipate someone uh, so all, for all the same reasons, right? So, like the the value system that would have been a net gain under the positive <coughs> world, now mm-hmm. that's a net loss for me because that value system is running up against the the value system of the modern work workplace, uh, and this obviously bleeds into other uh, other areas aside from just jobs. But that's, I'm just using mm-hmm. that analogy to try to to illustrate because things. since you are a Christian, then they assume in the negative world you have certain values and you hold certain positions mm-hmm. and those are i mean those could get you canceled right right yeah and it and it it goes into you know just running into somebody at a coffee shop you can kind of sense this sometimes you know we live in this really weird moment where i think um because we 
uh, we were a nature a nation where Christianity was prominent. Christianity mm-hmm. inarguably formed the West, and so uh, anybody who lives in the West, even if they don't know the first thing about Christianity in terms of like how it's really articulated um, or or expressed, uh, even if they don't truly know anything about it, they think they do. <laughs> wow. So, okay. which is part of the nature of a post-Christian. Stop me if I'm no, going on tangents. No. Um, so, like, uh, part of the nature of a post-Christian uh, culture, uh, why why it, it makes sense to call it post-Christian is that it's reacting against a Christian past, and so mm-hmm. there's a sense just it, it's sort of just in the air. Uh, you know, the sense that well, I, I understand what Christianity Christianity is about, and I and I'm over it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm over it. And so you can get that even in coffee shops where, you know, that there's, uh, there's kind of a, you just get into a conversation about the faith and there can often be kind of a, like a, a condescension that you meet, um, you know, of a, a poor soul, this, this simpleton, you mm-hmm. know, um, or, or just a bulldozing of, of any attempt to try to explain Christian claims, uh, because there's this assumption where, no, I've, I've heard that I've moved mm-hmm. on past that, you know? Um, so I think those are all features of how someone might encounter the negative world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe that's yeah. a helpful way. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it seems like, so there was a period of time from 64 to 94 where for a man, it was beneficial to be a Christian in the workforce or applying for a job 64 to 2014 or 94 to 2014. It was kind of like, who cares? Nobody cares really. Right. And then 2014, the present it's like now you're a man interviewing for a job and a conversation comes up about you being a Christian or going to church. And people are like, oh, man, oh, this is going great. And so this guy now. said that. I'm so glad he said it because I'm never hiring this guy. Yeah. And I just use the job <clears throat> interview as an illustration. So, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. So he's describing an entire mm-hmm. posture of culture. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I see that in the jails and prisons, you know. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's always been like that in there from 94 until now, Hmm. where being Mm -hmm. a Christian, like, was not, it didn't get you nothing. So there Mm -hmm. was no positive. There was no neutral. It's always negative. Mm. Really? Amongst the other people. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, And most of those people that were negative had some sort of Christianity in their background. But Mm -hmm. now they've converted to another religion or have become like, a religious or something like mm-hmm. I don't believe in nothing no more but this gang I'm with or mm-hmm. I don't believe in nothing or I believe in everything you know one sure. extreme or the other so right. that's interesting man I mean I, as you were talking I definitely like it makes sense right it, it makes all the sense in the world I can't identify much from 64 to 94 because I wasn't born until 74 mm-hmm. but you know and I didn't wasn't raised in a Christian home I never was among, amongst Christians as far as I knew and if a person would have told me, like, I'm this unbeknownst guy that doesn't know nothing. So I wasn't the guy that claims he knows but doesn't. I knew nothing. So a person mm-hmm. told me to go to church. I'm like, so what? Mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus. Who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. I don't even know who this dude is, and I don't care who this dude is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I probably, I'm probably a unicorn in a sense compared to most of the people in the country. You know, where I just sure. wasn't around any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So then within that framework, that's like the – the the overall framework of our culture but then within that the church has uh responded in different ways right right and that that brings us to what ren calls like the cultural warriors and the cultural mm-hmm. engagers and then 
there's not a third one yet. I don't think. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> but, he, he floated one. Uh, okay. We can talk about that a little but, bit. Yeah. But. So go back. So mm-hmm. that's the framework. So hopefully people understand that framework. And that's just like in general uh, with, mm-hmm. with culture. But then, then you look at the church. Now, how is a church operating and navigating within like the positive world? What, what stances did they take? And, and then what stances do they take during the neutral world? And then we'll get to today. Yeah. So the, what, what, so these are, these are ways of engaging culture. Um, so, uh, in some ways they're, they're different missiologies for these different moments. In other ways, they're just responses to culture, Mm. but, uh, in the positive world, what you, what you have is, um, you know, in the way that, um, Ren presents the history, uh, um, you, the, 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 the Christians who are going out to, to sort of win culture are assuming that, that most people regard Christianity well. So that, that's sort of enshrined in the, in the phrase, the moral majority, which was on the rise at that time. Because they figured that the majority of people right, had more behind them and they yeah. probably weren't wrong. Yeah. They probably weren't wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it was on the decline and probably more rapidly than they ever anticipated. But so so Ren calls a lot of that kind of, um, you know, like the Jerry Falwell, mm-hmm. like politicking Christianity. You know, these are all the, these are the culture warrior types. You know, eventually they they get a hold of different UHF uh, channels. You know, so you've got the Seven Hundred Club and, and and these different folks. So these are these are folks who are assuming that. Uh, so we're in a culture war and. Uh, both armies are pouring down into the valley and they're, they're equally matched. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and maybe there's a slight advantage to the, to the Christian army, but we're, so we're going to fight this war and it's a matter of meeting the enemy on the battlefield and overcoming them, you know, and we can be more out there, bold, <coughs> obnoxious because right. uh, mm. people have our backs. Most people mm. in the na- country. Right. Is that, that's what they're saying. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was also at the same time, you also had this is this is, you know, uh, this is when Bill Hybels was was trying to go after his strategy as well. So he's uh, he's going door to door asking people, are you part of a church? If they say yes, then end of conversation. If um, if they say no, then he was asking, well, what would you like to see in the church? So he he was creating a model for church uh, that was meant to. Uh, to cater to the desires of people who are not part of a church, but sort of felt like they ought to be there. And again, there, there's all sorts that we could say about modeling our, our mode of worship according to the desires of people who don't worship. <laughs> but in any case, that was a, that was a strategy that made sense in the positive world. You know, uh, there's, there's something in the air that makes people think I ought to be at church. And so we're going to, we're going to capitalize on that. And we're going to make use of um, like entertainment tactics to get people mm-hmm. in the door. Uh, so, so both the culture warrior stance and the seeker sensitive stance mm-hmm. are, are, Ren would say they're both positive world, um, approaches in the neutral world and a little bit in the positive world, mostly neutral world, you get what he calls the cultural engagement, um, okay. sort of model. And, uh, so this would be sort of your Tim Keller's, uh, you know, there's a, a, a big urban renewal that happened in the mid nineties to the late nineties. Um, and then into the 2000s. So when I was at seminary, like everybody wanted to, to go to a city, mm-hmm. you know, there were, there were books coming out about like, you know, Christ loves the city and it, just this big urban mm-hmm. renewal thing. It was the cool 
thing yeah. for a guy to go plant a church in the city. Chris Tomlin had a song, God of the City, right? Yeah, God, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll listen to that. Uh, and certainly God, like, God loves cities, right? Like He, he, loves, mm-hmm. he loves people. I, I also think he loves the country. Um, and so do I. But uh, so the cultural engagement thing was this kind of urban cosmopolitan, you know, like Christianity is going to have a have a seat at the table. So you have a lot of that kind of language coming. I don't know if Ren mentions that, but that was, you know, kind of the image a lot of people would use is just find a, you know, Christianity is going to have a seat at the table and we're going to. So um, I, I forget who it was who brought the, pl- the, the phrase principled pluralism, you know, this mm-hmm. idea of. You know, yeah, it's just it's a very cosmopolitan idea of mm-hmm. of how to engage culture. So we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna go to the theater. We're gonna read literature and philosophy. Uh, we're gonna make pour over coffee, <laughs> and uh, and we're gonna go to church and we're gonna win. Mm-hmm. We're, we're gonna draw people into the faith because we're we're gonna be culturally savvy mm-hmm. and we're going to we're gonna frame Christianity in terms of in terms that the culture will will find enticing. Um, so th- this group loves Acts 17, mm-hmm. Paul the Areopagus. Um, so, uh, another person, James Wood, uh, he he calls this group the winsome third wayers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you know uh, sort of they're sort of apolitical or they try to be. Um, mm-hmm. so apolitical in, in, in word only, but, um, so, so they don't want to take stances on certain political issues, lest they offend the, uh, cultural elites of the day. Right. The, like the liberal cultural elites of the day. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I could give examples of that, but I don't want to take up too much time, but, um, so, so, so those are kind of the approaches for the positive and neutral world at the time of the, the article, Ren hadn't floated his his recommendation mm-hmm. of how we frame up a strategy for negative mm-hmm. world, but he, he's since done that. But I like the uh, cultural <laughs> engagers. Yeah. Like Tim Keller is a great example. Like, he, and I like Tim Keller. Yeah. I mean, he I, does he's that. Done so, so many cool he's, things. He's and, respected uh, in a lot of ways by liberal elites. Right. He's published in the New Yorker, yeah. New York times. Um, and that says something. So, well, the idea is that it says something to folks living in the neutral world, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, so assu- yeah, yeah. assuming that assuming a neutral world, correct, it, it says something. If we live in the positive uh, in, in the negative world, then does that still work? Well, and, and he gives the example in the article of of uh, Keller going to Princeton, which I know we, Princeton has a very liberal uh, mm-hmm. reputation. It's really more of a moderate seminary. Mm-hmm. So that's the maybe he doesn't articulate that as clearly in the article, mm-hmm. but it's it's not as totally handed over to progressivism mm-hmm. as it might be. Um, and he, he got borderline canceled there. Mm-hmm. So and they was, withdrew his that award. Was that was like a couple years ago, right? That was in 2017. Okay. So we're in the negative world now and he's trying to, well, maybe he's not assuming, but that he'll just go and engage and, yeah. and everything will be fine. So winsomeness isn't winning him. the day. Yeah. Winsomeness doesn't win. Yeah. They still let him talk, but they didn't give him the award. They right. Said yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And again, I, you know, I, I mean, no disrespect to, to Keller. I've benefited from his books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's been more examples than just that. Um, where kind of a, I think winsomeness leads to equivocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're going to decide what to take a stand on 
And your standard for how to make that decision is based on what's going to go over well for people on their first encounter with you and your church. Then what you end up doing is democratizing your mm-hmm. convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, there's a very fine line between that and being a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of, so what kind of issues do they, yeah. What kind of issues do, if you're trying to, if you're assuming a, a neutral world in a negative world and you're um, trying to make the cultural elites and the culture like you, you have to, like you said, equivocate on some issues, like what kinds of issues? Yeah. Um, so again, I don't want to rag on Keller. Like I, I should emphasize, like I've really benefited from yeah. Keller. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I think he, he just seems to be a very upstanding, mm-hmm. honorable uh, and pious man. Yeah, right. So for sure. But I, I do I do think that he's a good example just because of his prominence and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I'm going to bring up another mm-hmm. Keller example. I'm not trying to bash him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, um, you know, Keller on abortion, I think, mm-hmm. is really illustrative. Uh, so there is this article Keller wrote a long time ago. Um, maybe it was around 2017, 2018, um, talking about how uh, a woman had been coming to Redeemer and, and she told it's a... It, Keller felt affirmed in his praxis because she told him, I'm so glad that, that you don't talk about abortion from the pulpit. Uh, and he mentions that she's experienced many abortions, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like that language alone is, is a, a strange thing mm-hmm. for, um, f- for a Christian to say, like to experience, to, yeah. As yeah, to take to, the agency out of yeah, the person who yeah. sought to, to kill yeah. the unborn. Um, so he was like, she, she had experienced many abortions. She was so glad that we don't talk about those sorts of things from the front. Instead, we do it in our Bible classes and mm-hmm. in, in our adult education contexts, because then she was able to come to Christ and only then uh, take up these, these convictions that are downstream of the law of God. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I think that's an example of the kind of um, like equivocating that, mm-hmm. that ends up happening where, uh, uh, we're crying out for justice for the unborn, you know, so in the, uh, th- that, that gets deprioritized. So in the article, he characterizes talking about abortion as talking about political issues from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, one pastor, Tim Bailey, he brings up the question. Yeah. But what if we reframed that? What if we rewrote that sentence to write bringing up the unjust deaths of the unborn from the pulpit is mm-hmm. not something we, we do here at Redeemer. Then it doesn't sound so good, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I think a lot of the same kind of like winsome, uh, you know, working working with words to make things palatable. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it, it's just uh, it doesn't lead you to conviction. It doesn't lead you to um, to, to take the stands mm-hmm. that sometimes you just need to take. I think it's a. I mean, for me, I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm my wheels are spinning because on one hand, I'm trying to even understand what the heck y'all are saying. On the other hand, I'm just thinking like practically, you know, with engaging just human beings, you Mm -hmm. know, and like I can't help but think like I'm conflicted. Mm -hmm. You know, in other Mm -hmm. words, like there's a time to stand on a soapbox and there's a time not to. Absolutely. And so for me, if I ask myself the question like, well, which method is the best or which one really works? That's those are not good questions to Mm -hmm. ask because really it's a case by case basis. I agree. You know, and so like, but when you look at a obviously a stance being taken from a church and what will be addressed at the pulpit and, and what won't be, 
there is a stance that's taken. Sure. You know, right. and, and you'll get people on both sides, the ones that say, we're going to talk about this. And the ones that don't like it, they're going to be offended. Then right. the ones that don't talk about it, people are going to be shaking their fists in the earth saying, why don't you talk about these important issues? <clears throat> you know, so it's like you almost can't win for losing. No. You know, it's like the person that says, I like chocolate ice cream. The person says, no, I like vanilla ice cream. And it's like, well, don't be mad at me. Like, let's just enjoy ice cream. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. feel like you know I didn't read the article and it was by accident um, but I'm thinking it's kind of a good thing because I feel somewhat ignorant to some of these things um, some of the stuff that's been said I kind of understand but then I'm a, I'm a I call it practical maybe I'm using the wrong word but I'm just like a down to earth like mm-hmm. how do I practice what I hear and what I believe mm-hmm. in so that's what I mean mm-hmm. by being practical and so mm-hmm. it's like me being a Christian, what do I do with this? You know, mm-hmm. on one hand, it seems like the stuff we just discussed is high-level clergy, pastoral, like super intellectual mm-hmm. people stuff that like doesn't affect my life. But it does affect my mm-hmm. life. And to not engage in it, to learn and then to practice truth means I'm not being the best Christ follower I can be. That's well, what I feel. And and here's where I think it it where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say to to someone who, who feels a little bit lost um, in this conversation uh, is first, I'm sorry. And then secondly, um, I think that just the point to take away is that your sense of how things are culturally is not wrong. So like if you have a sense that, that something has changed culturally, that something has shifted against the faith, mm-hmm. you're right. I think that's the takeaway is that 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 sense you're you're not crazy. Yeah, and I, I think and I think most people if they thought about it would 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm 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 thinking a step beyond that. Like I'm thinking for myself like okay, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. That's true of me. Then what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. How do I be the man that God wants me to be in this mm-hmm. negative world? this negative culture against Christ, how do I be? Do mm-hmm. I be winsome? Do I be loving and befriend people and kind of wait to share the gospel? Mm-hmm. Or do I go in with my Bible in my hand and engage people and say, hey, did you know that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? You know, like both can work, but it's like, you know, what? Like I'm, I guess I'm feeling like a lack of instruction. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, like the charge. And, and here is... How we respond. Mm-hmm. I, I want to. I want to also say at the same time. Here's how we. Here's the, some of the things we need to be aware of and not respond. And for me, like the rubber meets the road kind of moments in in the article and just thinking about this, uh, when we think back to um, when Trump was elected and Trump's embrace of evangelicals, and then evangelicals' weird embrace of him, like. Mm-hmm. Like, why did that all happen? Yeah. Well, this article and these this framework makes sense of that right. um, from the sense that 
you had these the um the culture of the former i guess cultural warriors like they never went away even into the into the neutral world they never right. went away and they're they're still around today and um i don't know do you have a feel for this where i'm going with this um i don't have a feel for where you're going with okay. it but I, I you know I, I think that the culture warrior uh that that whole stance is going to last a lot longer than the cultural engagement crowd mm-hmm. you know i would just say too lewis like um I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm making clear that like there is a place for winsomeness. Like Paul, he says, by every means necessary uh, or by every means I'm able, I tried to persuade men. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all winsomeness is is persuasive speech at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Like we, yeah, yeah. we want to do everything we can to persuade people of the gospel. Um, but, uh, but in terms of our expectation of how the culture will receive us, I think that's where well, I, the, the reason I mentioned that is because I, you know, a lot of people I, I hang around with and talk to, you know, Christians, they kind of feel like perplexed, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they see the negative culture, they understand mm-hmm. it, they're living in it. But then it's like, how do I be salt and light yeah. mm-hmm. in this culture? Because it, we live in a cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some people like don't want to be canceled. Like, yeah. I don't want to be canceled. Right. But then it's yeah. like, well, if I'm getting canceled for Christ, then that's when the culture warrior like to be canceled for Christ is the modern day martyrdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it seems like the. Those are our only options. So it's like, oh, do I want to be a cultural warrior and go fight and be kind of lumped together with the Trump supporters? Or do I want to be like the cultural elites who are everyone's going woke and embracing all these um, progressive stuff? Like, I don't want to do either of those. Like, I really don't want to be either of those. So how do Mm -hmm. I navigate forward? I think that's a tension that people feel. And that's where the rubber meets the road for me. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think, um, and, know, and so, a lot, sorry. And, yeah. and then maybe a lot of churches and church leadership are feel mm-hmm. the same tension and they're choosing in some cases to side with the cultural elites and the progressives and then downplay all these very important issues like abortion or any of the other current yeah. issues. Yeah. And, cause, cause that's safest. They don't want to be identified as uh, cultural warrior still today. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is going to be the last thing I'll say, and then we can move on if okay. you want to. Like, I'm going to go old school on this, and I really believe this. If we want to fight effectively, then the fight begins and ends on our knees. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, engage that way. You can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. And fight. Like, mm-hmm. because we're fighting against principalities and powers, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're not fighting man. We're fighting the dark forces and evil of this world. And so the way we win that fight is on our knees, mm-hmm. man, is petitioning and beckoning God to enter to inter, intercede, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. intervene for us. And that doesn't mean we don't not do anything else. But I mean, if we want to see the culture change, like politics isn't the agent of change. I don't that's my personal mm-hmm. view. Like me getting involved in government can help some things sure. but to expect this grandiose change yeah, it's, it's not gonna happen so i yeah. think that brings us into how we want to navigate the negative world and into yeah. the book of acts i know you've been studying acts recently mike and mm-hmm. i don't know let's take it take, let's take it from there i think that's a good jumping off point jumping on point yeah um so i guess as people try to navigate this i think um you know do i do I act like a winsome third way or like cultural engagement type? Do I act like a cultural warrior? I think what I, what I would just uh, tell people is just be a Christian, you know, uh, love Jesus, 
you know, uh, confess Jesus as Lord, um, obey the Great Commission, and and be with other Christians in worship, you know, and and worship with zeal. Like I, th- I think what's what's powerful about the Book of Acts is that what you have is is Paul going to the you know or or or, or the believers prior to him. Um, I'm thinking a lot about his ministry just because that's where we are in the Book of Acts right now in the church. So, um, you know, that's where, what we're preaching out of. Uh, but Paul goes to these different cities and and he just announces the gospel. Some people come to faith and then uh, the culture responds, you know, and it's not like he's trying to create some kind of a giant upheaval. Uh, it, it's it's just as he and the other Christians um, obey Jesus, stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like a riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so he in Philippi he casts out uh, the there's this little girl who's uh, who's oppressed by a demon who who gives her the power to tell fortunes and she has these handlers um, that are that are profit that, that are making a profit mm-hmm. off of her. So he casts the demon out. Uh, the kingdom of Christ gets demonstrated through through that act, and then the the handlers form a mob and go to the civil magistrates and get Paul arrested. And, you know, Paul isn't, he, he's not an activist. Paul isn't an activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but nor is he out there trying to find every single concession that he can make to culture. He's, he's out there to be a Christian and to make Christians and to worship with Christians. He he's, uh, he's just being a disciple. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but when the gospel is preached honestly, you know, when it's when it's preached as it is, uh, something happens, some kind of upheaval happens. It will either be the upheaval of repentance or it will be the upheaval of, uh, you know, like revolution, <laughs> rebellion. It's either repentance or rebellion. You know, so when Paul's in Thessalonica. You know, he, he goes and, and preaches at the synagogue. There are many Jews and a number of like wealthy Greeks who come to faith in the synagogue. And and so you, ha- you have repentance uh, take mm-hmm. place. And then the very next moment, you have a number of other Jews who are jealous of, of all the attention that, that the Christian movement is getting. And so they start a riot in the city. And they not only run Paul out of Thessalonica, they follow him the 45 miles to Berea and kick him out of that town too. <laughs> so he... So it, it's it's this idea that like some uh, so um, in in both of those crowds in in both the the crowd that rebels and the crowd that repents some kind of upheaval just took place uh, something has been shaken so the the the, the Thessalonians um, accuse Paul and Silas of turning the world upside down like those are um, the implication of that phrase is that the Romans should come and put down this movement. You know the Romans should should make peace, and and they do that very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so they're turning the world upside down. They're causing upheaval. The irony of it is that the that the people who are accusing Paul and Silas of of, of causing upheaval are the ones who just incited a riot. They're the mm-hmm. ones who are rioting. Yeah. They're the ones who are causing upheaval. But but see that today for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but what's interesting about it is that in some ways they are right. Like Paul and Silas are causing upheaval like when a when a person turns to christ uh when they repent of their sins they go through a kind of death like the whole value system that that sustained them prior to believing 
has to fall and then it has to be rebuilt around Christ. They have, they have to go through a kind of death and they have to rise again and they do so in Christ. And that is a kind of inner upheaval. And when a whole community of people are doing that, when you have a church, that is a kind of upheaval. Um, it's a people who are gathering around a value system that runs against the grain of the rest of the culture. And so there's upheaval with the gospel no matter what. Um, and so we should expect that. We should expect that there will either be repentance or there will be rebellion. Is that where the uh, the keystone comes into play? Yeah. So Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so maybe a helpful way to think about this is through, uh, through the lens of acts and, and just like understanding Greco-Roman culture. So, uh, there's this really good scholar named Kevin Rao. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, uh, so in some ways, all I'm, all I'm trying to do is just distill some of the stuff that he said, but he's been really helpful for me. Um, so think about Greco-Roman culture. You you have, what is a culture? It's uh, a culture is just sort of the concepts and practices that make a way of life. You know, so it's, it's a whole way of life. So the, the Greco-Roman way of life was downstream of their religious faith. You know, they believed certain things and downstream of what they believed was this, this culture that they had made. So you could say that culture comes from cult, mm. culture comes from cult and it always does. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you were a, a you know, Greco-Roman, you know, let's say you're, you're living in Philippi or whatever, or Ephesus, um, you know, you, you get out of bed in the morning and, you know, you, you help out your family with a few things in the morning, you go to your job, there's little odds and ends you're doing. There's all these little pieces of our lives. And you can imagine, uh, you can imagine each of those pieces as a stone in an arch, you know, so an, an arch is just two columns of stones piled on top of each other and, and they're curving in toward toward each other, and they, they, it's an architectural wonder because those stones have no business staying up, right? They're they're curving inward, so uh, so they ought to all fall. The thing that holds them all together is a, is the keystone that goes at the top of the arch. That that keystone unifies all these other stones in the arch. So in the same way, we have all these little pieces of our our lives, you know, our, our family life, whatever we're doing in the market, all these different things. Uh, all these all these pieces are held together by um, by some kind of uh, value, some kind of mm-hmm. overarching value that holds it all together. And this is always, in some way or another, a religious value. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, culture comes from cult. Your way of life comes from your highest value. And so, uh, what you have is in the in the Greco Roman world that that those values are like well i worship artemis and artemis is part of this whole pantheon of gods and my whole way of life makes sense you know mm-hmm. all these idols all over my house mm-hmm. and all over the street i mean you couldn't walk to five feet in ephesus without hitting somebody's mm-hmm. god mm-hmm. you know uh, they're just everywhere and so my my whole way of life is coming downstream of uh, of this of this commitment you know the uh the keystone what happens with christianity is that um the gospel shows up like in Acts 17, Paul goes to the Areopagus. It's cosmopolitan. These people are, this is in the city of Athens, the city of Plato. These mm-hmm. folks are intellectuals mm-hmm. and he goes there and he's quoting pagan poets at them, but that's not so that he can say, Oh, see, like my, my idea is vi- viable too. Let me brush shoulders. Mm-hmm. What he's actually doing is he's challenging the, the, the very assumptions they've built their life on. When the gospel comes into a community, um, 
and and is announced as it is that Christ is Lord and we have to be reconciled to God through the forgiveness that he offers when that is announced um you're threatening to move the keystone at the top of the arch mm. um and so it it's not just your 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 religious ideas that are challenged it's a whole way of life wow um and so everything else falls so if you move the keystone the whole arch collapses uh, and so when Paul is announcing the gospel to the the Athenians there, and he's quoting their poets, his point is not, oh, see, we all sort of believe something close. He's reframing it, and he repositions it in terms of of the one God who made all the world and, and appointed Jesus to die and rise for our sake, and he is the chosen king. Mm. What he's threatening to do is to move their keystone and say, your whole arch has to fall, and it has to be rebuilt around a new keystone, which is Christ. Uh, if you threaten the mm-hmm. core belief of somebody, you're not just threatening their belief. You are threatening the 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 whole way of life that they've built around mm-hmm. that belief, and that's what the gospel is doing. If we confess Christ as Lord, we we are, we are challenging the the belief system that underwrites an entire person's uh, a person's entire way of life. Mm. Wow, like when you hit a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> but that's dope. That's dope. For real, man. Wow. And it makes sense, like, why riots break out. Right. You know, when like you're in reading, Ephesus. Yeah, when you're reading, like, Acts and you get to Ephesus, Paul says two things. You know? right. <laughs> and then suddenly a riot breaks out. It's, yeah. it's because he took away the keystone and the culture's crumbling. Right? That's right. And in that case, it's an economic concern. Right. Yeah. So you have the silversmiths in Ephesus who are making all their money making idols mm-hmm. for Artemis. Mm-hmm. And so if he announces that Christ is king... Then what that means is that the, the entire economic system that's built on on the belief in mm-hmm. Artemis that all goes away. Mm-hmm. People are going to lose money. The gospel is not always good for the market, mm-hmm. and and <laughs> it's never good for the market because <laughs> the gospel is like open hand, you know, not closed fist. Mm-hmm. And, and and like that overturning of culture. What like back to your point, back to Lewis's point though about prayer that. Keystone was removed basically through repentance and belief, right? That's right. I mean, that's that's what did it. They they weren't like banging on the any politician's door. They right. weren't, you know, doing all these other um, cultural warrior kinds exactly. of things or cultural engaging kind of things. Yeah. yeah. But they were engaging with God on their knees, and and their belief was changed. Yeah. And I like I like what you said earlier about you know, Paul and Silas, when they encountered this, mm-hmm. you know, disturbed girl with the mm-hmm. demon, they were just being Christians. Like I pictured them kind of just walking down the street and all of a sudden they see this little girl and it's like, wow, man, like that's terrible what Satan is doing to her. Mm-hmm. And by the power that God gave them, they were able to heal her of that, mm-hmm. that, that illness she had of, you know, being demonized. And to me, when you said that it was just like so clear to me, like go into the world and just be a Christian. Yeah. When you see a person hurting, mm-hmm. stop them and ask them if they need help. Yeah. If you see a coworker or somebody like crying, stop and see what's wrong with them and ask mm-hmm. them if you can pray for them or if you could be like, just be a loving individual who loves God first, right? That's exactly and right. then loves others, like the Great Commission says. And so it's like, wow. You know, and, and like you said, out of that, we can see biblically with Paul and Silas, like things are just going haywire all the time. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> if it happened to Paul, as much as Christians revere Paul, I'm one of them. Like he was an amazing, you know, man right, of God. Right, yeah. Like 
He didn't shy away from that stuff. Exactly. And if these things happen to him, one, we shouldn't shy away from it. And two, we should almost have like an expectation, if you will, that when we're being this Christ salt and light on right. earth, that we're going to get maybe rise. Maybe we will get canceled. Maybe right. we will encounter some mm-hmm. physical like activity towards us that's yeah. negative and then count it all glory for God. I, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Like, I, I think that one of the major mistakes, one of my biggest critiques of the cultural engagement crowd is that there's this kind of implication that they leave a lot of a lot of us with, which is that if you announce the gospel and things don't go well, you did something wrong. You weren't winsome enough. You know, yeah. you framed that wrong. You said that wrong. Like, man, I don't want to bind somebody's conscience about just the little words they choose. Yeah. You know, like sometimes uh, a riot happens not because you failed to preach the gospel, but because you succeeded. Amen. <laughs> That's what we see in the illustration you gave with Paul and Silas. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, so often people capitulate, you know, and, and don't act because they're afraid of what might happen. And like, we shouldn't be operating in fear. We should operate in love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even in that Act 16 example, I think it's a good illustration of how, um, like, Paul didn't assert his rights at the beginning. Yeah, and then he does later. And then he does at the end of the at the end of the chapter, the same right. episode, right? Yeah. So talk about that, because he, he could have said, I'm a Roman citizen when he was being beaten, but he didn't. And after he was beaten and jailed... Then he did. What? Yeah. So I, I think that? that the way that Paul uses rights is he always has the church in mind. So a lot of times if he's going to individually suffer for the gospel, he won't assert his rights because he sees a value in the church watching someone suffer courageously mm-hmm. for Christ. But when uh, when uh, when the church uh, will will suffer because of his suffering or when when. So, like, for instance, the, just to fill this in a little bit more, in Acts 16, um, at the beginning of it, he gets arrested by the civil magistrates and beaten. That's that like so as a, as a Roman citizen, he has a right to a trial and he can't be tortured. So uh, and he doesn't he doesn't breathe the word. Mm-hmm. It's later when they they want him to quietly leave town, um, which would be totally demoralizing to the church mm-hmm. in, in Philippi just for this guy to just disappear. At the end, they want him to just leave town. All right, you're 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 released. Let's sweep this under the rug. Mm-hmm. Don't come back. Like mm-hmm. that's when he asserts his rights. Mm-hmm. That's when he says, "Oh no, no, no! You're go- like I'm a Roman citizen. Uh, you do not want Roman centurions coming in here with their their hundred to 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 make this right. Uh, so you should publicly come and apologize to me." <laughs> So he makes them, the civil magistrates come and physically release him. Philippi is not that big. People are going to see them walking Paul out and publicly apologizing mm-hmm. to him. For the sake of the Philippian church. Exactly. He wants yeah. the Philippian church to to, to, to to watch him go to bat. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think, as you were saying, that it reminded me of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. you know, and part of the civil rights movement right. and how yeah. they like saw an injustice being done. They didn't retaliate in anger. They were fearless, you know, mm-hmm. of what they endured. And they were like, no, nah, we're not just going to leave. Like, we have rights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we, 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 want, what we, we, we mm-hmm. want what the government says we can have. Mm-hmm. We want our due, mm-hmm. you know, in a peaceful, loving way. You know, not all of them, but yeah. the ones that did. And so. A modern example. Sorry, I, I no, cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, a, a modern example that I can think of is Jack Phillips. So he's Masterpiece Cake Shop. Um, mm. uh, so, I mean, this this 
poor man has suffered enormously. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been around him. Uh, he's the biggest sweetheart. I mean, he's just this kind, gentle, faithful dude. Um, but, but he's been just run through the legal circuit multiple times, um, because he, he's refused to, it was first to bake a cake for a gay wedding, quote unquote, and then to bake a cake that sort celebrated someone's transitioning. And each time he's, he's brought to court and like, what, what, what is he doing? Well, I mean, obviously part of it is that he's preserving himself just as Paul is partially preserving himself when he did assert his rights. But really what he's also doing is by fighting these legal battles, he's trying to, to, to create a lasting space for Christian conviction in the public square. I mm. think that's what Paul is doing when he asserts his rights at Philippi. He's trying to, to, to carve out a space for the Philippian church to have it easier than him to, to have a, a space in the public square mm-hmm. that's enshrined legally. Mm-hmm. And that and that's happening now with guys like Jack Phillips. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, and it's, there's going to continue. There's always going to be a need for stuff like right. that because yeah. this world is not getting better. It's getting worse, mm-hmm. you know, and if a person doesn't see that, understand it or theologically believe that, then I think they're missing something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're always going to be faced with situations like this, you know, as individuals or as people groups. Mm-hmm. And so we do need to, like figure out how to live as a Christ follower with love and being armed with the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the Bible says that the gospel is offensive, right? Mm-hmm. So we got a bat that we're all walking around with that's called the gospel and the power is not in us or the bat. The power mm-hmm. is in God's word. And it's like yeah. as we swing it around, like people are going to get offended by it. Like you said, they're going to repent or they're going to rebel, rebel. You know, and I, I love that. I never want to forget that because I think it's so true. You either mm-hmm. fall in line or you reject mm-hmm. and push against. Yeah. And when one of those things happen, like, don't be surprised yeah. and then move on. Yeah. I Like, I, you know, I know I'm long winded and I, um, I, I don't want to lose anybody like over intellectualizing. Like, if I could just say pastorally um, to live in the negative world, don't privatize your faith. Don't politicize, don't politicize it either. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. So when you go public, don't politicize it. Don't mistake activism for discipleship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes disciples must be activists. Mm-hmm. Activism and discipleship are not the same thing, though. Mm-hmm. So don't privatize your wow. faith. That's great. And don't politicize it. Um, like if, if someone wants to know how to believe and repent in the negative world, it is the exact same way that Christians have believed and repented uh, all along confess Jesus as Lord, which means that you're, you're trusting him and you're repenting of sin. Um, so confess Jesus as Lord. So confession, secondly, commission, obey the great commission, Mm -hmm. you know, seek to make disciples confession commission. And then, um, uh, and then congregation get with the Christian assembly, be with other Christians and just live as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's literally all it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't. Each individual doesn't need to to figure out every little facet of culture in order to be faithful. They just have to love Jesus. Mm-hmm. You wow. used an illustration of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah. As a as, in a way, I, I haven't heard it, you know, used before, but I like the angle on it. Uh, talk about that. Yeah. So, and it's I'm not the first one that's that's seen that that exchange Mm -hmm. this way. Um, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and there's a man there who's lame. And uh, 
it's said that when the pool is stirred, mm-hmm. whoever gets into the pool will be healed, and he can't because he's lame. And so when Jesus finds this man, he asks him, do you want to be healed? And the exchange, exchange is really interesting because the man says, you know, every time the, the pool is stirred, someone else gets in before me. Mm-hmm. No one will help me get in. So what's he doing? He's he's not answering the question. He's he's saying, well, sure, I want to be healed, but this person is stopping me. Mm-hmm. This group is, is stopping me. Uh, Jesus is asking every single Christian, do you want to be healed? And... Uh, and a lot of Christians are responding. I, I want healing, but the progressives won't let me, mm. you know, <laughs> and, and like, we should care about, so I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing real cultural concerns. Like mm. there's dark stuff mm. out there. Uh, and, and we should, we should be wary. Uh, but when Jesus asks us, do you want to be healed? It, it, it doesn't answer the question to say this person won't help me get into the pool. When the, when the man says that, Jesus just asks him again, do you want to be healed? Mm. And and then when he finally responds, and yes, then Jesus heals him. If the mm-hmm. church wants to be healed, then repent and believe. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, your healing is not dependent on resolving all the crap that's happening in the school mm-hmm. system or in the government or in big mm-hmm. business or in media or in tech. It's not like all that stuff could be what it is and you can still be healed. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus heals, Jesus saves. So repent and believe. Mm. Amen. Wow. Well, this has been it's been great. <clears throat> I mean, I feel like again, like this could have almost been two separate mm-hmm. episodes, but it wasn't, and it's been good. So <clears throat> excuse me. So man, thank you mm. for being here before we end. Like any final thoughts, any final words from either of you two? Follow us on Facebook. We're back. <laughs> we're back. We've been kicked off twice. We're back twice. So we're uh, back. Okay. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're trying to navigate our navigate our world. But no, in all seriousness, um, I do really love that picture of um, us using excuses of, mm. of why not to engage with our coworkers, our neighbors, our family, our friends, because we think there's these issues that are getting in in our way mm-hmm. in, in the way of the gospel. And it's like, that's just an excuse. Like, yeah. do I, do I want to share my faith? Do I want to engage or not? You know, yeah. the parable of the good Samaritan is a great illustration, mm-hmm. you know, interact, help, mm-hmm. see the need, see the need, yeah. man. Don't walk by. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, don't and it starts it. with the, and it's the little things like that's, that's something that stood out to me. Like, mm-hmm give a cup of cold water, <laughs> visit mm-hmm. someone in prison. It's the, it's the little things we think we have mm-hmm. to concoct these huge, I don't know, campaigns or mm-hmm. get everything, but it's, Man, it's we just the start, little things. People, we got to start a nonprofit or we got to get a board. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's people that got calls to that, but the majority of people got us and just go out here and be my people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can all be part of a, of a strategy, you know, and, and reclaiming institutions, I think is a part, is a part of how we respond mm-hmm. to the negative world. Um, there's a talk by Aaron Wren called Cultural Insurgency. It's really good. But at the end of the day, I think I think that's exactly it. And so many Christians are so bogged down in the news and in um, kind of the urgency of social media. Um, go find a sin in your life and mm. repent of it. Go go find something that's too big for you and and believe in Jesus in the midst of it. Mm. Um, wow. Abide in Christ. Love him because he first loved you. Wow. Yeah. 
That's great. I mean, nothing, nothing, I don't want to mess that up. No. <laughs> That's great. So, so thank you guys today for tuning in this episode, man. It's, it's been a blessing. Um, check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Bumper Sticker Faith, BS Faith. Man, it's been a joy to be with you today. Check us out next week. We'll have another guest. We'll have another topic. And we're going to be kicking it on Bump Day. And don't go stepping in no BS. Peace. <laughs>